Welcome back to America. Can we talk? Sometimes I half let that music play out a little bit. It's just so good. It just so symbolizes what the show is all about. Hi, I'm Debbie Georgiatis. This is America. Can we talk? I want to take a moment to thank our sponsor of this show, which is GC Works. And this show, America Can We Talk, couldn't do it without them. GC Works is a Dallas-based company that performs research in advanced technology and delivers innovative approaches to the oil and gas industry Also want to say hello to our listeners in Colorado Springs. So very happy you join us each week on AM 1460 and FM 11.1, The Answer, and also on The Patriot, 960 AM, The Patriot in Phoenix, and of course here in Dallas, my home, our home. So welcome to America Can We Talk. This is my cruise through the news. I want to start with Sarah Sanders, who is just, you know, I took a little while to warm up to her. She is so darn funny. I have a clip ready. There was, you may have realized this week, there was a, an interview with President Trump, or he was at an event, and he commented um, about the conduct of these truly evil MS 13 gang members. And the press just had a heyday contorting what he said. So let me have Sarah Sanders tell you the story. This is clip one. Talking about it in the last 24 hours. What did the president mean when he said some immigrants are not people, they're animals? Uh, the president was very clearly referring to MS-13 gang members who enter the country illegally and whose deportations are hamstrung by our laws. Uh, this is one of the most vicious and deadly gangs that operates by the motto of rape, control, and kill. If the media and liberals want to defend MS-13, they're more than welcome to. Uh, frankly, I don't think the term that the president used was strong enough. MS-13 has done heinous acts. Uh, It took an animal to stab a man a hundred times and decapitate him and rip his heart out. It took an animal to beat a woman. They were sex trafficking with a bat 28 times, indenting part of her body. And it took an animal to kidnap, drug, and rape a 14-year-old Houston girl. Frankly, I think that the term animal doesn't go far enough. And I think that the president should continue to use his platform and everything he can do under the law to stop these types of horrible... Okay. Folks, I just have to tell you, Sarah Sanders knocked that out of the park. And the reason I want to talk about this story is because this is an example. When I say to you, and many conservatives and and talk show hosts will say that the media is biased, this is such a great example to keep in mind. If you just read, for example, the New York Times' Julie Hirschfield Davis column on this comment by President Trump. Her column was called, Trump calls some unauthorized immigrants animals in rant. Not, he was answering the question. They were talking about the MS-13 gang members who do the kind of things I was, you were just hearing Sarah Sanders described. Horrific, inhumane things. He, President Trump, in responding and speaking about MS-13, did call them animals, which is, as she says, a mild term for what you could call them. But it wasn't just the New York Times. USA Today ran with the headline, Trump ramps up rhetoric on undocumented immigrants. These aren't people. These are animals. NPR Scott Newman ran with the same kind of headline. During roundtable, Trump calls some unauthorized immigrants animals. It goes on and on and on. And the reason I say this is, if you gather your news, even from the New York Times, Washington Post, NPR, um, you know, I, I can't, NPR particularly bothers me, but uh, USA Today, 
you have to recognize this is the filter these people put on their news stories. This is the spin, the twist they always do. This one was particularly egregious because the entire issue relating to illegal immigration, how are we going to solve DACA, what are we going to do about the DREAMers, how are we going to secure the border, what are we going to do about immigration reform, is a tender issue. And the left does this. The left does this contortion of the issue because they want to spin you into an emotional dither where you're unable to process facts. You're unable to listen to reason. They want you to actually think the president of the United States referred to every person who happens to be undocumented as an animal. They, they use his words to twist, contort, and lie And this was CNN, New York Times, ABC News, C-SPAN. They all did it. And they all would have gotten away with it in past times, except for we have the Internet. We have websites. We have a few. We've eked out a few conservative sources for news. So when they try to do this kind of stuff, it gets exposed. But I want to share that with you to encourage you. If you read anything attributed to Trump in any of those sources, You need to actually find out what really happened because they will do this to him over and over. And I love Sarah Sanders. That was hilarious. Okay. The other story I was going to hit very quickly in this cruise of the news has to do with Starbucks, which has, you know, it's like, I mean, shooting itself in the foot doesn't even begin to describe Starbucks because they had an unpleasant incident in one Starbucks store in Philadelphia in which two black patrons felt they were treated unfairly. They were asking to use a restroom when they hadn't yet ordered and ultimately got the police were called. and They were escorted out. And it did seem like this, the situation got out of control. But Starbucks overreaction is they've now announced, if you didn't know this, the absolute surrender of Starbucks. They've announced you no longer have to be a customer. You don't have to buy anything to use the restrooms, and you don't have to buy anything to sit at their tables. So they, this is a left-wing worldview crazed mindset. It's going to be the homeless center of America. Starbucks shooting itself in the foot. I predict this won't even last two months. Debbie George asked, America Can We Talk? Come right back. If there's one thing the conservative movement needs, it's a leader. And we have one, the Heritage Foundation. Hi, I'm Debbie Georgiatis. Heritage gets in the trenches on Capitol Hill. They promote principled solutions directly to lawmakers in Washington. And unlike politicians, they don't waver or compromise. But they're not a Washington institution. There are nearly a half million Heritage members and supporters in America. And they're on a mission to grow that number and build the conservative base. You can become a Heritage member by going to joinheritage.org today. I've been a member of Heritage myself for years. I have Heritage experts on my show, and I rely on their analysis to get the facts out. As a member, you'll get updates from Heritage Foundation on the fight for conservative solutions to America's challenges. Plus, you'll receive exclusive invitations to conservative events where you live. So join the growing movement. Find out more at joinheritage.org. That's joinheritage.org. America is greatly blessed by the men and women serving in our military who are defending us every day, making our freedom possible. 
Military families also serve, and they face hardships while dads and moms are far from home. Military families endure frequent moves around the country and overseas, requiring them to adjust to new schools and make new friends over and over. They also face anguish while their soldiers deployed overseas, often in harm's way. The Army Scholarship Foundation offers one way to help military families by providing academic scholarships to children and spouses of soldiers. And you can help. Visit ArmyScholarshipFoundation.org and consider making a tax-deductible donation to help a military family member pursue his or her educational dreams. Assisting military family members with their college education is a great way for all of us at home to say thank you to our military families for your service and sacrifice. Visit ArmyScholarshipFoundation.org and get involved today. If you want to get at the issues that really matter for women and men, go to IWF.org. That's the Independent Women's Forum. IWF is all about increasing the number of American women who value free markets and personal liberty. IWF's motto is all issues are women's issues. They bring a fact-based approach to politics, policy, and culture. When the left tried to peddle a phony war on women, IWF shot back with facts and figures. American women aren't victims in need of ever-increasing government protection. And IWF doesn't think things are perfect, but they believe that individual liberty is the key to prosperity and fulfillment. Along with their sister organization, Independent Women's Voice, IWVoice.org, which is a leader in the fight against Obamacare, they offer policy papers, op-eds, and a popular blog on issues of the day. So visit IWF at IWF.org. That's IWF.org. America faces unprecedented threats to our national security. The Center for Security Policy, based in Washington, D.C., is a national leader focused on the organization, management, and direction of public policy coalitions to promote U.S. national security. The Center is a special forces in the war of ideas dedicated to identifying opportunities and challenges likely to affect American security and acting promptly to ensure that they are the subject of focused national examination and effective action. The Center enlists support from executive branch officials, key legislators, and other public policy organizations and brings these teams together to develop and shape policies that will keep America safe. Check out centerforsecuritypolicy.org for the latest news and developments brought to you by America's leading security experts. Becoming and remaining informed is one of the best ways every citizen can be a part of the mission to keep America safe. That's centerforsecuritypolicy.org. And welcome back to American Can We Talk. I'm Debbie Georgiatis, and um, I'm just having too much fun for words. I love doing this radio show. I could happily do it two hours, five days a week, three hours, five days a week. And really, it's all about, to me, always and only about standing up for the unique, extraordinary idea that is America. That is the reason I do this. You know, back when Barack Obama was elected, uh, and um, it was a point in our lives when we were Nearing the end, we were going to be empty nesters. Our, our youngest child was a senior in high school, and um, I was, uh, you know, it was a spring, and he was going to be graduating that year and going off to college in the fall. And um, I, I tell this story sometimes when I was <clears throat> in my, my do public speaking, but I was driving home from a tennis match, and I had been playing playing pretty serious league tennis at that point. I'm driving home, and I had double faulted in this match, and I was kind of mad about that. And I was thinking about how, you know. Um, 
you know, when the kids are gone, huh, and the last kid's got, gone off to college, I'm going to perfect my tennis serve. I'm never going to double fault again, blah, blah. So I'm driving along, and I turn the radio on. This is spring of 2009, and Barack Obama was on. And I was listening to his speech. And, you know, I had been very, very politically active for years and years. I had worked very hard. You know, I worked to support conservative candidates, uh, generally speaking, Republican. I mean, they're all Republican candidates, conservatives. Um, and I listened to him, and I realized kind of in a renewed way that he actually meant that he wants to fundamentally transform America and not in a good way, not in a good way. What he meant was turn America to socialism, turn America to big government control, take away our liberty. I recognize the depth of what he believed in. And I just decided in that car ride on the way home that, you know, I can't believe I'm thinking about perfecting my tennis serve and we, we need to be fighting for this country. And I don't mean to sound like up until that point I hadn't done anything politically because as I, had, I will, as I've said, and I'm, everyone who knows me knows I've been very, very politically active. But I just decided at that point I was going to do everything I could think of to help preserve America, to help protect the idea that is America, to try to explain more. And, and I, I majored in, um, in college, I majored in government and political science, and I read a lot about American history and, and the formation of America and what America means. America is an extraordinary idea. And that's what I try my show to tie in the topics I talk about, always tie them back to the idea of the great uniqueness of America and how every generation has the job of preserving America. So on that note, I want to talk about the royal, <clears throat> the royal wedding and Al Sharpton. And um, I will tell you that I'm not, I don't pay attention that much to, um, I, I pretty much read any kind of news that relates to history and, and events and politics and elections and the issues facing Congress and the issues facing America. I don't read a lot of uh, kind of social news. I, don't, I didn't watch a royal wedding, although now some people did. But I wanted to talk about the royal wedding and in the context of Al Sharpton and, um, and then uh, an issue going on here in Texas, because this issue could go on anywhere. I did not know until this morning. We were literally flying home. My husband and I were flying home from Washington, D.C. this morning. We had been at a convention for three days, or a conference. We are flying home, and I read something. And I turned to my husband and said, you know, I didn't realize the royal wedding, which had been yesterday. It was just yesterday. And that Prince Harry uh, married this. I knew Prince Harry is going to marry Meghan Markle. But I did not realize that she, uh, her parents, her mom is black and her dad is white. I didn't realize she was, she was biracial. And I had just, I mean, because I don't read that kind of news, it never even would, I just had no idea. And so I read that about that fact, but it was in the context of a story about how Al Sharpton reacted to the royal wedding. And I don't mean, I should say, I, I hope they're happy. I don't have anything against the royal family. I'm not into royalty. I'm into ideas and, and not royalty. But, you know, I, and I wish them well. But Al Sharpton's reaction to the royal wedding uh, was to blather on and on in his weekly National Action Network event on Saturday. This is a weekly thing he does in Harlem, to blather on and on about the importance of Meghan Markle's racial background and how, in his words, 
this is he's he was boasting that white supremacy is on its last breath and he talked about white male supremacy on his last breath and talked about racists around the world are you know that that he in fact he was talking about Donald Trump supporters and how they were probably upset about the royal wedding because it might make some of their children or people they know uh, think that you know the races are equal I mean just the most evil vicious lies about the Trump supporters about America. And this is, I make this point so often on this show, the American left has no political base except by creating hyphenated groups of America in America, convincing members of those hyphenated groups that they are victims, that everybody else hates them, and that they, the Democrat Party, the only ones who can save all these these poor victims from each other. Last week on the show, I talked about Candace Owens, and she's just shaking, or two weeks ago, I guess, shaking things up. Candace Owens is talking so much about her, you know, just uh, who's a black, young, conservative activist working with Turning Point USA, has been making the argument over and over that, you know, we need to stop. We, and she is speaking to the black community, we need to stop agreeing with the American left that our highest identity, our purpose and meaning of our existence is to be a victim. She's been really persuasive. Kanye West has now gotten behind her. Really, really powerful stuff. But this is what Sharpton was saying. I'm not going to read all of his words because they're so ugly and they're so false. But his mission in his speaking is trying to convince the people who listen to him that America is a country filled with racism. And I'm telling you, and Candace Owens is telling you, and Kanye West is telling you, and dozens and hundreds of black conservatives, who outspoken conservative leaders who are black, are trying to tell you that's not what America is. It's just not. America is not perfect, but it's not what America is. And Al Sharpton has no audience unless he can create victims. No audience. And so his take on the royal wedding was to rant on and on again about how America is a... Um, a racist country and full of racists and and they were that all the racists were probably horrified by Prince Harry marrying Meghan Markle when I think most of the world was just honestly that the world's mostly divided between people who were enthralled by the royal family and like watching all the wedding and the beauty of all the this the whole you know the pageantry of the whole thing and people who maybe are more like I am which is I'm happy for them I hope they're happily married but I'm not into the royal family I'm not into royalty it's not my thing I don't, I'm glad we don't have that in America. But anyway, uh, I, I think most people had those two reactions. But the idea that Al Sharpton is trying to convince his listeners that the main thing that you should take away from this is that there are so many white supremacists in America who are deeply upset because of Prince Harry's, uh, who, the woman he chose to marry, which is hogwash. Hogwash. Okay, but I do want to get to one story. And folks, this could be happening anywhere. It happens to be happening in Dallas. But I want to mention this story because it ties into what Al Sharpton and the left tries to do all the time. In Dallas, we have a county commissioner's race. And that is a the county government and a county commissioner is just one of the, it's like a city council position, but it's on the county level, it's county commissioner. There is a county commissioner, there's a runoff coming up in, in Dallas, in Texas, in Dallas, a runoff between two Republicans. And one Republican, it came out over the weekend, or, or I guess last week, uh, news stories, and he's now confirmed it. Uh, this Republican guy running to be a county commissioner and a former criminal court judge 
had put in his family's trust fund. He has a trust fund. They have a trust fund. That His trust fund includes a stipulation that is in, intended to discourage his children from marrying a person of another race. He says, if you marry a person of the opposite sex, that's Caucasian and that's Christian, then they will get their distribution. The guy is saying, he said in a trust in the terms he chose to put in it, that his children would receive much less from his trust fund if they married outside their race, if they didn't marry a white person. I'm telling you folks, this is sickening. It is, I mean, you, you, it's a pit of your stomach feel. You cannot believe anyone has survived in public life and obviously has a very low opinion of people who don't happen to look like him because that's what he's really saying. And in fact, uh, many reports were then began to surface after this came out. He's admitted it. He's acknowledged. Yes, I put it in there. And he's trying to say, yeah, but you know, I've kind of rethought it since then. He didn't put the, he didn't write this when he was five years old. He wrote it in 2010. He's an adult. He's a retired criminal court judge. You know, so raising questions, of course, about the fairness of his sentencing, when obviously you have that kind of racist thought, what kind of sentencing he had. And I just think it's incumbent on Republicans to understand that we, the Republicans are the party that have always stood up for equality between the races. The Republican Party exists to end slavery. That's why it got started. The Republican Party is the one that fought and got the Civil Rights Act passed. But when we have someone surface in the Republican Party with this kind of blatant racism, we better understand we can't choose that candidate. I have more on this when we come back from the break, but I got to go away. Come right back a little bit more in this race. America guarantees each eligible adult citizen the right to vote. The Public Interest Legal Foundation, a 501c3 public interest law firm, is dedicated entirely to election integrity, to assuring that voter rolls include names of only citizens eligible to vote, and that protections are in place to prevent voter fraud of all kinds. The Public Interest Legal Foundation discovered that more than 1,000 non-citizens enrolled to vote in Virginia in just eight counties, and in Philadelphia, felons as well as non-citizens are on the voter rolls. Non-citizens have been registering to vote and voting. The Public Interest Legal Foundation is fighting nationwide and in Texas to ensure that only Americans pick American leaders. We are actively litigating high-impact cases to clean up voter rolls and protect the ballot box. If you do not want your vote canceled out, visit publicinterestlegal.org to join us in the fight to restore integrity to American elections. Protect your vote. Visit publicinterestlegal.org today. Texans have a long tradition of independence, and we don't like being told what to do, especially by liberal bureaucrats 1,000 miles away. That's why for 30 years, the Dallas-based Institute for Policy Innovation has fought Washington's efforts to take more of your money and freedom. IPI works every day to keep taxes low and freedom high, to promote free market health care, expand energy security, protect intellectual property, and combat onerous regulations that destroy American jobs. Politicians often talk smaller government, but then vote for more of it. By contrast, IPI has never veered from its mission to defend the Constitution and fight for freedom. If you want to be informed about free market policies and solutions, go to IPI's website and sign up. All of their information is free for sharing. Help IPI restore liberty and economic growth. 
Go to IPI.org today. That's IPI.org. One more time, go to IPI.org today. Let me tell you about the group Vice President Mike Pence called the most effective grassroots pro-life organization in America. It's the Susan B. Anthony List, and they're the ones who are on Capitol Hill right now, day in, day out, to fight back against Planned Parenthood and the abortion industry. Every day in our nation, abortion takes more than 2,000 innocent lives, almost two every single minute of every single day. And Planned Parenthood is the largest abortion business in the country, committing one-third of all abortions. It's an unspeakable tragedy and a stain upon our nation and our humanity. And it's up to us to do something about it. This is your opportunity to join the team that's leading the charge to end abortion. Go to sba-list.org or Google Susan B. Anthony List now to learn more and start saving lives today. Do you know that one in nearly five United States residents lives in an immigrant household? That we take in more than one million new legal immigrants every year? Studying the impact of federal immigration program is the mission of the Center for Immigration Studies, the nation's only think tank looking at the broad national effect of immigration policy. Whether it's on crime, welfare, national security, or the job market, CIS digs out information about immigration from government sources, translates it into English, and makes it available to the public, the news media, and policymakers in Washington. Check out its work at CIS.org. CIS makes the case for better enforcement against illegal immigration and lower levels of legal immigration in the future. Most other special interest groups pursue the opposite. The only thing standing between them and open borders is an informed public. Get informed and stay informed by visiting CIS.org. That's CIS.org. And welcome back to America Can We Talk. I want to finish this point about the royal wedding and Al Sharpton and the, and the race we have here in Dallas, the, uh, a political race for county commissioner. You know, I mentioned last week I have a dear friend um, and her, known her for years, she's one of my best friends, and uh, her son and our son played um basketball together so no known her forever um she's black and and we're um she, she they have three sons who are young adult sons and we've had a lot of conversations about race relations and um you know i mean just really pretty intimate serious conversations about the state of race relations in america and and you know what kind of country america is and i am always telling her that you know i truly i don't hear people you uh, use racial profanity or, or uh, racial slurs. I really don't. The people that I know that I, I am politically active with, that I, you know, that I worship with, just the people I know do not engage in any of that, any uh, racial slurs. It's just not, I, I never hear that. And I encourage her to think most of America is not like that. I'm not saying that America is perfect. I think there are people who hold racist ideas with every skin color and background, But overall, America is a good, noble country. When you have a candidate like what's happening here in Dallas with this, this, the gentleman I'm speaking of is named Vic Cunningham. He's running for county commissioner. And you can look it up online, read the whole story about it. 
But this is the kind of story that is so harmful because it's the kind of thing Al Sharpton would say to his audience is that, well, they might be acting nice towards you. They might be polite, but secretly they think, they, they think they're better. They, they look down on you. This is insidious. This is un-American. This is unacceptable. And I, I don't know all that's going to happen. I mean, we have this primary, this uh, runoff this coming Tuesday, and I don't know how it'll all come out here in Texas, but um, Vic Cunningham is running against the, uh, and this it's an open seat, so it's him running against J.J. Koch. And I'm just going to tell you, if you're listening to the show and you're voting in Dallas, keep in mind that sending that signal, that that attitude that you would actually write in your trust fund that your kid gets more money, your your child, your offspring gets more money if they marry someone of this who's also white. That you are telling them you're treating, I'm telling you that people who aren't the same color as you aren't as good as you. This is so egregious and so offensive. And I'm really counting on the voters in Dallas to reject this. I, I, it's Honestly, it's... It's, it's unspeakable, actually, in my opinion. Okay, so uh, that, I wanted to hit that story. It's a very tender story, and, um, you know, it's a uh, people who supported. I think that there are plenty of people who supported this guy um, in the um, primary. You know, there was a, we're in a runoff now so in the primary who had no idea that he said these kind of things and did these kind of things. I'm not suggesting that everyone who's backed him uh, agrees with him or is aware that he spoke that way. But I think now that they are, it's incumbent on them to say, this can't fly. We, this, is, this does not represent the Republican Party. The Republican Party is the one over the decades that has stood up for racial equality, that has that pushed through the civil rights bill changes, that, has, that got founded because of ending slavery, that stands for the equality of all people. That's what the Republican Party is. And Despite what the Democrat media mob, the Democrats and the media glom together, that's my term for them on the show, the Democrat media mob, um, will constantly be trying to say the opposite is true. But it's important you understand. I, I think it's important to take a stand and say, we, we just, we cannot, this is unacceptable. Okay. Changing the subject entirely. I just want to tell you something. I, I tried to get to this last week. I think I even put a link up to it on our, our website, AmericanCommingTalk.org, last week, and then I didn't get to this story. But, you know, I've been talking a little bit about leftism, not a little bit, talking a lot about leftism and just what leftism really means. Because leftists try to use the term progressive as though that what they stand for is seeking progress and betterment. What leftists always and only are standing for is controlling more of your lives. It is woven into the DNA of leftism. It's always about surrendering individual liberties, surrendering your rights, surrendering your power, and being more controlled by the government. That's what leftism is. So... In the last election cycle, 2016, you probably realized, since they've been whining about it every day since then, that actually Hillary Clinton apparently, um, not apparently, Hillary Clinton got more votes. She won the popular vote, but she lost the election because she lost the Electoral College. And I want to tell you about a movement that's getting started because it is gaining steam and it's important to understand what the left is trying to do, how this isn't just... 
The left is trying to make the argument, essentially, that they want to get rid of the Electoral College because it is true, I believe, in the, is it three times in American history, maybe four times, not sure, where the popular, the winner of the popular vote didn't win the election. And in each case, the Republican is the one who won the presidency of the Electoral College, even though the Democrat won the, the popular vote. And so the Democrats are talking about trying to get rid of the Electoral College. And they have this, you know, on its surface, fairness argument. You know, it's only fair. We got more votes. We should get to win. We get to be president. And Hillary Clinton would be our president right now, which is on Honestly, an alarming thought. But the reason I want to talk to you about it is there's an effort by the left, and they're calling it the um, uh, I don't have the name of it right in front of me. Sorry, it's the uh, Nash, the National Popular Vote Interstate Compact. So it's written into the Constitution that we have the Electoral College. I'm going to get to it in just a minute and tell you why, what is so important. But this idea the Dems have, the National Popular Vote Interstate Compact, is essentially to get enough states to agree, Democrat voting states, that if the, that whoever wins their state doesn't matter, that they are going to commit when they get to the Electoral College point, after the national, we've all gone to vote the polls, we've had our elections, and so we've got the, uh, you know, the winners of every state chosen, and then we go to the process of the Electoral College. They're trying to say that the states that sign on to this compact, those states, Electoral College representatives, will vote for whoever won the popular vote, regardless of who won their state. And the reason they're doing this, obviously on the surface, the reason they're doing this is because they don't like that in the past, in this most recent election cycle again, um, and it's a very rare thing in our in our in all of our nation's history of electing presidents. As I say, it might be four times or maybe it's only three, but it's not like it happens every other time or something. But they've gotten the point that they're complaining about it now and they, they want to do something about it. And I want to... Just try to articulate why it matters so much not to let them get away with this. The reason the Electoral College is set up the way it is is so that we don't have, even back at the founding, they're aware, you'll have cities with concentrated populations. And so you have in America today, of course, you have New York City, Philadelphia, L.A., you know, Houston, Dallas. We have cities that are city centers and they have dense population. And then you have rural areas. And in Texas, for example, the statewide races, I want to tell you something about Texas in a minute, but Texas has statewide races where um, it's really the rural vote or the non-intercity vote that dictates the outcome. So the idea of Electoral College was to make sure that the president was not chosen by the concentrations of people in the inner cities with no power for the people in the surrounding areas. That there was a that and in fact it was not just this this city state thing, it was the states. And if you're gonna have the the large number of people living along the East Coast, it was an idea that the whole government of, of the America had to have representation from the whole country. Couldn't be couldn't have government selected by a small number. And on top of that, it was an enshrinement of the virtue and value of the power of the states. It was the idea that we actually have states that can have competing uh, viewpoints, policies, try things, competing, um, uh, you know, 
they're little they use the expression laboratories or petri dishes they are just areas in the country where different thought can take hold and so you want to have all of that you want to hold on to the power in the states what the democrats are trying to do and this is an end run around the value and virtue of the electoral college the value and virtue of the uh, representation of the whole country and to say no actually you know we're just going to cram the majority rule idea down the throats of the American people. And the reason I'm telling you about this is because they just gained another signatory. The state of Connecticut just signed on. So every state that signs on, it signs on that many more people, whatever their electoral college um, uh, proportion is. And so this is going to end up in the Supreme Court. I think the Supreme Court will strike it down. But it's important to understand, this is the left saying again, you know, we're not going to honor the rule of law or the Constitution. We're going to force our will on you. I'm Debbie Georgiatis. One more segment. Don't go away. I want to tell you what something Harvard is doing for Hillary. It's not right. The right to freedom of speech, to be who you are and to speak your mind, is a foundational American value enshrined in the First Amendment to our Constitution. And nowhere is that value more important than on America's college campuses. But too often on our campuses, unpopular political opinions or religious beliefs are met with censorship or even violence instead of honest dialogue and discussion. And Texas colleges are no exception. Schools like the University of Texas at Austin, Sam Houston State University, and the University of North Texas all place burdensome restrictions on free speech. That's why the Foundation for Individual Rights in Education, FIRE, fights back against the censors to defend liberty on America's college campuses. Does your college or alma mater uphold our most cherished American value of freedom of speech? Find out by visiting thefire.org and consider lending FIRE your support. Could you lose your career because of your faith? Could your pastor be sued because of his sermons? Can students and teachers be punished because of what they believe about God? Can the government or even your employer force you to violate your beliefs? Get the answers and, if necessary, legal protection from First Liberty Institute. First Liberty is the nation's largest legal organization dedicated exclusively to restoring religious freedom in America. In fact, First Liberty's nationwide network of top attorneys win over 90% of their cases. They've won at the Supreme Court all the way down to local schools. Visit FirstLiberty.org to learn more about how First Liberty is protecting religious freedom for all Americans in the workplace, public schools, your church, the military, and more. That's FirstLiberty.org. If you want hope for religious freedom and a free listing of your rights, go to FirstLiberty.org now. Do you dream of a better world? One where poverty and hunger are a thing of the past? What if you could make a real difference in the lives of those most in need? The solution to poverty is not handouts, but hope. The freedom and opportunity to use one's talents and resources for good. At Five Talents, we empower the poor to start their own small businesses. Five Talents works in some of the most difficult places in the world. With $85, you can help a new entrepreneur escape from poverty and build a sustainable business that helps her whole family. Can you think of anywhere else your gift can work that effectively? 
When you walk with five talents, you bring opportunity to those most in need. Join us in demonstrating the greatness of American generosity. Visit 5talents.org today to learn about the impact you can make. That's 5talents.org. F-I-V-E talents.org. Our military and veterans have served all of us, defending our nation whenever and wherever duty calls. But at home, when their families need support, they know they can turn to Operation Homefront for help. Operation Homefront provides military families with critical financial assistance, transitional and permanent housing, and family support programs throughout the year to help prevent their short-term needs from turning into long-term struggles. When you support Operation Homefront, your donation will make a real difference because 92% of their expenditures go directly towards programs that our military families need most. Each year, Operation Homefront serves thousands of military families, families in your community, helping wounded veterans transition to civilian life, helping military families pay overdue bills when their loved ones deploy overseas, and helping them through their short-term struggles. Make a difference today and help serve America's military families. Visit OperationHomefront.org. That's OperationHomefront.org. And welcome back. As I always say, this is the fastest two hours of my week. I cannot believe we're in the last segment of America Can We Talk. I'm just dedicating this show. The show is dedicated to preserving the extraordinary idea of America and everything we talk about ties back to that. But I want to digress. No, this isn't a digression, but I want to talk about Hillary Clinton a little bit um, and something that Harvard did. And, you know, it's just really interesting. I was watching in the studio. We have a, a TV on the corner. I noticed on the commercial that she spoke, Hillary Clinton spoke at, at Yale's graduation or, or, or I don't know if she was the main speaker, but she spoke, did some kind of speaking at the commencement at Yale. And um, and then what I want to talk about is something that Harvard gave her. And I really want to just, it's kind of interesting on night that we were talking about the royal wedding. But at Harvard, um, Hillary Clinton was given the, an award, uh, it's considered very prestigious, um, and it's called the Radcliffe Medal, and it honors individuals whose life and work have had a transformative impact on society. And it was described when they were giving her the award why they gave it to her, and they said because she's a champion for human rights, she's a skilled legislator, and she's an advocate of American leadership on the world stage. And, you know, I, I'm i speechless, actually. No, I'm not speechless. If you read this story, if you go read, look at the link on our website at americacanwetalk.org or just Google the story, all the comments afterwards were exactly the things that I was thinking when I read about it. I mean, you know, and I'm getting at a point that's political about this, um, but... To finish with these various comments where one guy put, you know, the comment sections are always can be really funny. Uh, Name one significant piece of legislation she wrote, sponsored, or even voted on. Um, And so they, I mean, well, okay, some of them are, I can't read on radio. Anyway, I will say the point they were making was there is just a tendency in, in humanity to, I don't know. I mean, I, I, cause I don't feel this way. I don't think, but I mean, a tendency to want to just uh, worship somebody, you know, just hold somebody up. 
And Hillary Clinton, I mean, in fairness to her, she was uh, a, you know, secretary of state, only a second female secretary of state. And that was very significant. Um, and she held that job. She won a U.S. Senate race. Uh, I think she had a lot of uh, twists and turns helping along, but she won a Senate race and she's been a first lady. But you really think about the things she's advocated for. I mean, it mentions foreign policy as an example in here that she's been an, a leader in American leadership. I mean, that's one reason she was chosen an advocate of American leadership. I mean, seriously, it was on her watch as Secretary of State when we just, she was the one who, as we're dealing with the UN, who turned in a report about America being not uh, not a fair and just place. I mean, she wanted to do Me Too. I mean, she's in the UN with all these countries that denigrate women, that that you know withhold the vote, that do that don't have equal rights for women. All of these things that actually happen in Islamic countries, and to kind of Me Too herself, she turned in a report criticizing America about our race relations, and the, again with the left wing, you know drumbeat on and on and on and on and on. You have to make sure to make a complaint day in, day out about race relations, claim that everyone, that, that we're just a country filled with victim groups, blah, blah. This is what she did. But I mean, and under her leadership, we had the pay for play thing going on with Uranium One. And I wanted to mention something about that. The idea that she is not being, I mean, I guess now I think that Attorney General Jeff Sessions said they're looking into to whether to do something further about Uranium One. This is a woman who was Secretary of State. She appears by all by many credible accounts of engaged in pay for play. She entities that would donate to her Clinton Foundation slush fund got favors from her. She had the Uranium One deal where she voted to transfer 20% of America's uranium assets in exchange, apparently, for many of the entities involved making major significant donations to the Clinton Foundation. I mean, corrupt as a day was long. She engaged in the whole deal related to her email server, and that was not, by the way, the email server, her failure to set up a server like she was supposed to, controlled by and safely protected by the State Department. Her failure to do that was not simply out of convenience, and it wasn't out of ignorance. It was an absolutely intentional decision that she wanted to keep the prying eyes, the State Department prying eyes, the FOIA requests, the Freedom of Information Act requests. She wanted to insulate insulate herself from those. She wanted to put herself in a position where they didn't have to respond because this was a personal server. She wasn't using the government server. She endangered national security secrets. She exchanged highly classified information over her unsecured server for years and years. This is a woman who just, the list of wrongdoing is not just like that she sometimes jaywalks when she's in a hurry. This is a woman who had the FBI files brought to the White House of the people of the enemy she was after, never had to explain, never returned them. I mean, this is a woman, the scandals, the list of true, egregious criminal scandals goes on and on and on and on and on. But... She's an icon on the left. She's someone who has, 
you know, she served as Secretary of State. She, I mean, she was just a, a an apologist for the Iranian deal. I realize the Iranian deal was completed after she was done being Secretary of State because John Kerry was at that time Secretary of State. But she was not just an apologist for it, an advocate for it, a strident advocate for it. This is a woman whose conduct, her decision-making toward Libya ended up in a really poor, deci- poor uh, episode there. She was never held responsible for Benghazi. I mean, this is a woman who does not have, you cannot list legislative victories. You cannot list foreign policy victories. You cannot list better relations, America doing better in the world. This is a woman who had the left wing. I don't like America very much. I certainly don't respect America very much. That was the mindset she took to her job as secretary of state. But somehow, somehow, and, and oh, and wait a minute before I get to somehow in Harvard, and then the entire episode in the 2016 election cycle where she she got the research her campaign paid for from Fusion GPS, squirming around you know an utterly it appears fanciful concoction, a fairy tale par- not a parable, a fairy tale story made up, turned in to the FBI, used to get the FISA warrants issued by the FISA court to to even more prominently and persistently and quasi-legally spy on the Trump team. This is a woman who was behind. It it became clear she had manipulated within the DNC, her allies manipulated, so that Bernie Sanders, who was gaining traction, couldn't win. I mean, this is a woman whose scandals, wrongdoing, uh, integrity is just, there's nothing to brag about. And of all the people Harvard could have chosen for the Radcliffe Medal, honoring her life and work, and she has been, I mean, scoundrel doesn't even begin to capture. In fact, I want to remind you on Hillary again, I know I'm piling on her, but I'm very, I'm just disgusted with the idea that just because she managed to prop up Bill Clinton, be the first lady, let him get away with all of his endless, um, I can't think of the name of the island that he would go off to in the, uh, you know, when, and engage in uh, weekend adventures with underage girls. But the whole thing that Hillary Clinton enabled her husband to do, enabled him to get away with all that he did, still enables him, still, this is the woman of all the people in America who've done great things that Harvard chose to honor with this Radcliffe Medal. And there was going to be a speech actually delivered to her. Oh, and the previous people have received it um, are Federal Reserve Chair Janet Yellen, uh-huh, Supreme Court Justice Jude, um, Rudy, can't speak English, sorry, Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg. And so, I mean, these are just, these are just liberal icons being honored by uh, Harvard. But I want to just uh, mention again, if you didn't know what this Uranium One thing is and why people keep hounding on it, it kind of ties back to what we started talking about in the start of the program. I mean, uh, in the section that was talking about Mueller and the New York Times and Washington Post story. We are in a place right now, in 2018, where the idea of the rule of law, the integrity of the FBI, Department of Justice, the DIA, the NSA, an entire laundry list of the federal intelligence services are now compromised and polluted by the efforts of Hillary Clinton and Barack Obama while he was still president 
and Hillary Clinton to steer the entire 2016 election toward her, to concoct false stories, to create suspicion around President Trump and his campaign, to make it, uh, to use the, uh, the taxpayer-funded federal resources that are supposed to be of all the par- departments of federal government. The FBI and Department of Justice are committed openly, as they all should be, to the idea of absolute fairness, of nonpartisanship, of just upholding the rule of law. They're not supposed to be taking sides in political campaigns. Hillary Clinton was right in the middle of, of just the whole swirl of the mess up there. On top of that, the Uranium One thing, you know, we had February of this year, February of this year, we had inform, former FBI informant in a written statement to three congressional committees, informant Douglas Campbell told Congress that Russian nuclear executives told him that Moscow hired an American lobbying firm, APCO Worldwide, to influence Hillary Clinton, then Secretary of State, talked about money that changed hands. This is not, I mean, this is congressional testimony Congress has from an informant. Hillary Clinton, the kind of life she led, the kind of conduct she engaged in. And yet we get around to Harvard honoring her. And I get back to this. You know, I said I'm really glad America doesn't have royalty because we don't you know, spend an entire day watching a wedding of, you know, a prince and his bride. And as I say, I hope they're happy. I hope they're happily married for life. But this is we propping up Hillary Clinton based on her conduct and her life is so egregious. It just makes you think we just have people who want too much too much to spend time kind of being worshipful and that's not good enough for america okay folks out of time i can't believe i end the show every week so love talking with you listen to our wednesday podcast right here on the facebook page america can we talk wednesday podcast 3 p.m central and every sunday 6 to 8 come back love talking to you speak up for america america can we talk with debbie georgiatis to learn more or to contact debbie go to america can we america can we talk truth about America.